You ever watch this guy on television? You all were not telling the truth, and you should not be trusted. Congressman Matt Gates, thank you for what you yeah. did for your country tonight. Be offended with the Democratic whip, not House Republicans. Like a machine, Matt Gates. Welcome to Hot Takes. I'm Congressman Matt Gates. Let's talk about the news. Bob Woodward's book, Rage, getting a lot of news coverage in the mainstream media. I don't think it was a good idea for the president to give 18 interviews to Bob Woodward to give him the opportunity to take things out of context and cast them in the most negative light. That seems to be what Bob Woodward has done, uh, no matter which president he's covering, just very negative, very critical. Uh, the president and I were on Sean Hannity's program last night to talk about the book, the president's response to coronavirus. Uh, and I think it's important to remember that expectations at the beginning were that were really dire, you know, that this virus would be you know, perhaps even 10 times worse than we've seen as far as death impact in the United States. We continue to see survivability of the virus improve in the United States as a consequence of developed medical treatments, better testing on the front end, and obviously we have maintained capacity within our hospital system. You know, a lot of people don't talk about that now, but our hospital system was predicted to be overrun where people would be dying in the streets, unable to get ventilators, unable to see physicians and receive treatments. And far uh, you know, from that has actually come to pass. Uh, no American who has needed a ventilator has been denied a ventilator. The president you know, did extraordinary things like turning the Javits Center into a medical center. He brought uh, USS Mercy uh, and Comfort into areas that were heavily impacted so that they could deal with both coronavirus patients and uh, at times I think some of those vessels uh, helped with non-coronavirus patients so that we were able to have maximum capacity for those who were impacted uh, in, an, in an unpredictable way and dealing with unpredictable acuity in their medical condition. Now here's the president and my discussion with Sean Hannity last night. In the state of Florida, we've seen a Trump flag on just about every boat. The president just banned offshore oil drilling in Florida. And when it comes to the coronavirus, I think it really highlights the extent to which the media is a joke. When the president urges calm, they say he's irresponsible. When he takes aggressive action, they call him a racist. A great nation cannot respond to a pandemic by panicking or, or hiding in the bunker. President Trump had a well-executed, focused plan Initial estimates said that 2 million people could have died of the coronavirus. It is going to be far less than that. And we're going to have an economy capable of rebounding because we've had the strong leadership of President Trump. All right, Ryan Priebus and Congressman Gates, I would keep you both longer, but somebody outflanks you. They're up next. Joining us right now, live on the phone, exclusive interviews in the White House tonight, President Donald Trump. Mr. President, thank you for being with us. Well, thank you. They did a very good job, I will say. <laughs> okay, they get good grades. Um, let me go to the Woodward book. Um, I was first surprised that you spoke to him. I don't think a lot of good comes from talking to Bob Woodward, my own personal opinion. But let's go to the things that Carl Rove was pointing out that Biden said today. Ten days after the first identified case, ten days, you put the travel ban in effect. Then it was a subsequent ban, the first quarantine in over 50, 50 years. He said it was hysterical xenophobia and fear-mongering on your part. Two and a half months later, he reversed himself, at least according to a campaign ad. Why 
What do you believe that one decision, at, 10 days after the first case in America, what impact did that have? And what were you saying to Bob Woodward? Well, first of all, on the Woodward book, on the book itself, uh, he called. He, I didn't participate in his last one, and he does hit jobs with everybody. He even did it on Obama. But uh, constant hit jobs on Bush. I guess they did three books. They were all terrible. So I figured, you know, let's just give it a little shot. I'll speak to him. It wasn't a big deal. I speak to him. And let's see. I don't know if the book is good or bad. I have no idea. Probably almost definitely won't read it because I don't have time to read it. But uh, I gave it a little bit of a shot. Sounds like it's not going to be good. But if you look at what I said today, I said, don't panic. We don't want to be jumping up and down and going wild. Don't panic. I'm a cheerleader for this country, and I don't want to see panic. And uh, I thought what Matt said was fantastic, because we would have lost two million, two and a half million lives instead of the number we're talking about. Anything above one is no good. It's no good. We can't have it. It was China's fault. They sent this to us, and it's no good. Steve Nash, the legendary Hall of Fame point guard, has been selected to be the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. Nash completing his playing career relatively recently, but widely regarded as one of the best point guards to play the game. A diminutive guy, a guy that didn't always have the electric athleticism, but with his knowledge of the game, with his vision, with his playmaking ability, widely viewed throughout the NBA as one of the best teammates, one of the best motivators, a real student of the game, and no surprise to see him in the ranks of head coaching, but it has created all kinds of really unexpected and, and bizarre controversy. And wait till you see the, the twists and turns of this story. It starts with the announcement from Brooklyn that he's getting the job. And then Stephen A. Smith very prominent ESPN commentator, probably one of the guys most wired into the scene in the NBA and basketball, has a blistering commentary of the decision. Take a listen to Stephen A. Smith on ESPN. Congratulations to him. He deserves it. I get it. But this ain't about him, what I'm about to say. Ladies and gentlemen, there's no way around this. This is white privilege. This does not happen for a black man. No experience whatsoever on any level as a coach. And you get the Brooklyn Nets job. I know that Kyrie and KD have both signed off on this. I know they both support this move. But I'm thinking about a champion that is Ty Lue passed up. I'm thinking about a guy who built the foundation for the Golden State Warriors in Mark Jackson passed up. I'm thinking about the years that Sam Cassell has served as an assistant, first in the nation's capital in D.C., and now with the Los Angeles Clippers, passed up. And it's for a guy, my God, one of the best guys you could possibly meet in your life and may do a fantastic job, but a guy that has no experience whatsoever. In these times where we're making all of this noise about social justice. I got news for y'all, Molly and Max. I have said this to people on numerous occasions right here on this show. Yes, that was the tipping point. George Floyd's killing, his murder, you know, violence against black men who are unarmed. All of that stuff is true. But the frustration, the protest, and all of these things that you've seen in the streets throughout America, 
emanating from the black community and disenfranchised communities is that proverbial glass ceiling and the fact that it breeds a level of frustration that we can't even put in the words sometimes. You just want to scream, want to scream to the high heavens. How the hell does this always happen for somebody else other than us? Why is it that we have to be twice as good to get half as much? Why is it that no matter what we do and how hard we work and how we go through the process and the terrain of everything, somehow, some way, there's another excuse to ignore that criteria, to ignore those credentials, and instead bypass it and make an exception to the rule for someone other than us. This monologue sent shockwaves throughout the sports world, the media world, the fact that someone of Steve Nash's obvious capability as a player and with that strong aptitude likely to convey to a successful coaching career, one would not think that he would be attacked just for being white and having been selected as someone who was white. And I find it even more bizarre when evaluating Steve Nash's reaction. He acknowledged the white privilege. He said, yes, I probably benefited as a consequence of white privilege in the NBA, and now he wants to be a part of the solution, he says. Here's my hot take. Steve Nash should not have to apologize for being white. No person that is ever hired for a job should have to apologize for their skin color or their background, and it is equally true that no one should be discriminated against based on their skin color. And of course, we should find opportunities to build diverse teams and find people who've had different experiences. But Steve Nash, in a way, is a diverse pick because he is someone who so recently played the game. Usually you do get people from the coaching ranks and sometimes you see a benefit from that out-of-the-box pick, someone who's closer to their playing days. And it proves that diversity is not just reflected in skin color. It is also reflected in experience and approach and strategy. And so I think Steve Nash can be a diverse pick despite not being you know, an African-American. I think that he can be a diverse pick by virtue of the diverse things he has done and the skill stack he brings to the job. And I simply cannot believe that instead of defending himself, Steve Nash essentially bows to the mob and says, well, you know, I probably got the job from white privilege and gee, I'll try to be part of the solution from here. You know what? The real way to be part of the solution is to stand for the proposition of equality for all Americans, equal opportunity, no apologies, no discrimination, no treating people bad uh, because of their background or their skin color and no having to say you're sorry because you got a job and you happen to be white. New York City mayor and failed presidential candidate Bill de Blasio catching some shade from one of his fellow Democrats. That's right, Max Rose is a Democrat who represents Staten Island in the United States Congress. I know Max. We actually get along quite well. He's, he's a very jovial guy. He always has a very positive attitude. And here was the Max Rose television advertisement. Bill de Blasio is the worst mayor in the history of New York City. That's it, guys. Seriously, that, that's the whole act. And you have to wonder why a Democrat in a swing seat, and by the way, Staten Island, New York, very much a swing seat, 
was held by a Republican before it was held by Max Rose. And I know it's one of the seats that will determine whether Nancy Pelosi is still the Speaker of the House. But in a swing seat to have to come out and so forcefully attack Bill de Blasio, I think showcases how unpopular and how unsuccessful some of the policy proposals that de Blasio has championed really have been for the people that he is supposedly serving. One of the things most notable to the rest of the country is Bill de Blasio's negative treatment of law enforcement. Uh, regularly, you have boycotts, protests, um, you know, statements of no confidence and disapproval from law enforcement leaders in New York regarding Bill de Blasio. Listen to Bill de Blasio in the presidential debates talking about the treatment of successful people in America. This has to be the party that's not afraid to say out loud, we're going to tax the hell out of the wealthy. So I guess socialism, anti-law enforcement policies, catch and release for criminals, I guess that all hasn't been very successful for de Blasio. And the proof is in the obvious distance that his fellow Democrats like Max Rose are, are trying to put between his policies and their electoral success. Donald J. Trump has put more federal judges on the bench by percentage than anyone I think since George Washington. One of the reasons why so many conservatives are excited about the Trump presidency is his impact on the judiciary, bringing constitutional conservatives into public service in a way that allows us to preserve the values and principles that have made America the envy of the world. Judges are supposed to interpret the law. They are not there to make the law. They are not there to crowdsource prosecutions. They're there to review the law, to act as jurists in their capacity as Article III judges. And I think that it's very exciting uh, to see the new list of potential nominees to the United States Supreme Court that President Trump released. And you'll remember back in the 2016 campaign, this was really the height of transparency. I had never before seen uh, a potential president list the individuals that they would pull from to potentially fill seats on the high court. But President Trump put out that list. He kept the promise of selecting from that list in populating the Supreme Court with Justice Kavanaugh, Justice Gorsuch, and there are some familiar names on the new extended list should President Trump be elected in 2020. Tom Cotton, Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley from the United States Senate. Uh, Cotton putting out a statement about how gratified and, and honored he was. And, and certainly it is an honor uh, to be listed among the top legal minds for consideration for the Supreme Court by the president. Josh Hawley, our good friend uh, from the Show Me State. He says he's not interested, uh, that the folks in Missouri sent him to serve in the United States Senate, and that's what he intends to do. So somewhat withdrawing his name from consideration. And I also want to note, we see a couple of Floridians on the list. My good friend, Carlos Muniz, who Governor DeSantis had selected to serve on the Florida Supreme Court, making the list. Uh, Justice Muniz is the first uh, Nicaraguan American to serve on the Florida Supreme Court. Uh, and we also have uh, Barbara Lagoa, who currently sits on the 11th Circuit, she also was selected by Governor DeSantis to serve on the Florida Supreme Court. President Trump then uh, selected her for the 11th Circuit. She was uh, confirmed and is now serving in that capacity. And so you start to see this uh, Florida legal talent pipeline 
really starting to move with great f folks like Muniz and Lagoa. And, and I know there are a number of other uh, great selections that Governor DeSantis has made and that he's continuing to make uh, to the Florida Supreme Court. And I know that that will be potentially a, a real feeder system to the U.S. Supreme Court as we get these great jurists under consideration. So great list by the president. Great job by our governor in Florida. Good to see Tom Cotton, Ted Cruz, and Josh Hawley making the list. I'm 38 years old, and if anyone is in my sort of early millennial, zennial era, you are familiar with AOL Instant Messenger as a means of communication. That's right, in my kind of high school, college, and law school years, everyone had the AOL Instant Messenger uh, line of communication open to their friends, to their sports leagues, to their potential romantic pursuits. And one of the features of the AOL Instant Messenger life was the away message. So if you were working on something else or not at your laptop able to chat with people, you could put up a message regarding what you were doing. And it was kind of like always the thing when you broke up with someone and you wanted to check in on what they were up to, but you didn't want them to know that you were checking in on what they were up to, you would check their away message. But the away message also allowed folks that were maybe at the computer writing a paper or doing research to focus on something other than immediate constant communication with other individuals. And at 10medium.com, they asked the question, is American life ready for an away message today? With so much communication, with less of that chat going on through a laptop and more of it going on directly through a smartphone, we are interrupted about five or six times per hour, according to this report, and that really does have an impact on productivity. It also has an impact on our psychology. Uh, if we are able to enjoy in-person socializing less because of so much chat that is going on through the phone, whether it's DMs on Instagram, whether it's direct text messages. Now everybody's got the peer-to-peer -peer communication with WhatsApp and Signal. Uh, we're enjoying our social time together less. And it's not really practical for us to just turn off our phones because, I mean, if someone really did need to contact us, you certainly want a penetrable system of communication. But uh, the away message gives you the ability to sort of, you know, keep at bay some of the, you know, regular, constant, incessant flow of chat while you focus on something else. So maybe something like an auto reply, an away message gives us a little more flexibility to live our lives in these complex times. Bring us back to those early 2000s days of the away message says 10medium.com. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer is building a wall around herself, her own home. That's the story that Fox News's Morgan Phillips brings us. Michigan Democrat governor's residence getting security upgrades, including a new perimeter fence. It'll be about eight feet high. The governor's office calling this a routine maintenance upgrade. To, to ensure the safety and security and protection of any sitting governor in the first family. Well, you know what? I'm for the wall. I want Governor Whitmer to be protected. But are her fellow Woketopians calling the wall racist? 
Are they saying that she hates the people on the outside of the wall? No. You know why? Because liberals in America, they actually know and they understand that physical barriers work. They just think that their personal security and their personal residence is more worthy of that protection than our nation. I believe if you love our nation, you must strive to protect her and secure her from anyone that would do her harm or would seek to come here without permission. Governor Whitmer doesn't want people coming to her home without permission. She doesn't want her family to be vulnerable. And I agree with her. I just wish that our fellow Democrats would agree that our nation is just as worthy of protection as the home of any politician. Because if we did that, we would be more prosperous. We would be more secure. And we would be serious about the type of immigration reform we actually need to ensure that the most talented people in the world want to be in the United States, but are willing to follow our laws to be here. And then we should ensure that those laws inure to the benefit not of some globalist worldview, but to the benefit of America and the American people first. America first policies, they work. Let's put them to use for our great country. Thanks for listening to Hot Takes. I'm Congressman Matt Gates. My website is gates.house.gov. Go there and make sure you sign up for our weekly e-newsletter. And if you're on Apple, give us that five-star rating and whatever podcast platform you're using, subscribe so that you can join us each and every day for more Hot Takes. Hot Takes.